This is a Clark University podcast. Welcome back to our limited edition podcast series, Moments of Uncertainty. This three-part series explores how Clark University students, staff, and faculty have responded to uncertainty in the face of COVID-19. I'm your host, Kevin Wesley, the Executive Director of Alumni and Friends Engagement and the Clark Fund. We spoke to a Clark student in our last episode. Now we'll be hearing a professor's perspective on academia during the pandemic. Many Clark professors found themselves in a real predicament over the past year and a half. Professors who had normally only had experience teaching classes in person had to very quickly adapt to teaching remotely uh, in March of 2020. And then this fall, they had to decide whether they would teach in person or remotely or in a hybrid model. These are big decisions and they were challenging. And professors also had to balance all of that upheaval in their professional lives with grappling with the issues that we have all faced in our personal lives as part of the COVID-19 pandemic. To give us some insights about teaching during an international crisis, I'm speaking today with Dr. David Hibbett, biology professor at Clark. David received his PhD from Duke University in 2001 and specializes in evolutionary biology and ecology of fungi. And David, welcome and thank you for being a part of this podcast project. My pleasure. Happy to talk to you. So the premise of this is moments of uncertainty. But as as we have been chatting leading up to this, you raised an interesting point that I think your your perspective as a scientist would be an interesting one for us to talk about a little bit first. And that is, how do we define uncertainty? And particularly within the lens of this pandemic, when you hear that word uncertainty, where does it lead you? Well, that's a great question, Kevin. I'm sorry if I'm being a little bit too much of an academic, you know, demanding <laughs> that we define our terms. But um, I think it is good to talk about what what we mean. I don't view uncertainty as a bad thing, right? I think a life without uncertainty would be dreary at best, right? To have total knowledge about current reality and what is what is to come. So uh, I don't view uncertainty as inherently bad. I don't view it as meaning indecision either, which is a different phenomenon. And I certainly don't mean it, to me, uncertainty does not mean insecurity, which I think is a bad thing. And, you know, my life as as a uh, tenured professor at Clark is one in which there's a great deal of security, right? You know, I have a fairly comfortable life. And even over this last very challenging year, I've been incredibly fortunate. You know, I have not had to worry about my paycheck. My health has been has been good. I've been able to work from home, keep myself safe. So mine mine is a life of great security and uh and the uncertainty about the world is something I can I can largely deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that perspective and I I think that particularly at Clark and within the world at large, there have been a lot of conversations this year around uncertainty and security and privilege and opportunity that has been a big part of the Clark experience this year. Let's get to that a little bit later. <laughs> and let's let, let, let me take you to um, a moment, and whether it was a, a moment of uncertainty or not, let's leave open. But let's take you to the moment as a faculty member who was teaching in the spring of 2020 
when the news came that we would be shifting our, uh, that we'd be sending students home and we would be shifting to an online modality for instruction. Can you talk us through what that meant for you as a faculty member and what kind of moments you had in that, in that time? Yeah, that was an intense moment. It was both a surprise and not a surprise because, you know, we, we knew that this, you know, that this wave was coming and something was going to happen. So when, when the announcement came, I think it was a Thursday, wasn't it, that we would be shutting down immediately and taking a week off from classes to retool, it was not entirely unanticipated. At the same time, it was, it really hit, hit hard because it was a huge challenge. We were going to have to take a step back for just a moment and then carry on with teaching in this entirely new online modality. And at the time, I was in the middle of teaching introductory biology, which is one of the courses I do here at Clark. And that is a class with 140 students. So not a trivial undertaking. And I had to, I had never used Panopto (laughs) or Zoom. um, And I had to figure out how to retool my class, use these new technologies, chunk my lectures into bits that I could record online and then upload to our course management system along with extensive notes because you know I couldn't be there physically in class with the students. Now, as far as uncertainty, <laughs> I wasn't exactly sure how we were going to do it. So there was some question about just the mechanics of it, but it was there was no question that we were going to do it. You know, we, we had to keep teaching, you know, that's the job. So that was not, not a question. It was just how the hell do we pull this off? When you talk about we, <laughs> I, I would imagine that there were several we's. You as, the, as a faculty member in biology, you as a faculty member at Clark, and then you and your students. Yeah. Well, Bio 102 uh, and, inter- and first semester intro bio are, you know, the two of the largest classes on campus, and there's a team that brings that class off. So um, in the second semester of intro bio, which I do with my colleague, Deb Robertson, another professor in the biology department, and also Dr. Beth Bone, who is an instructor in our department, who had been mostly responsible for the labs. There's the three of us, as well as a team of teaching assistants, mostly PhD students, some master's students. So it's a really big group effort. So we had to coordinate and figure out how we were going to do this together. Dr. Robertson had taught in the uh, first half of the semester, and I was just starting my chunk when when we shut down. Uh, but yeah, it was not just me doing this. It was a team of us figuring out how to how to retool this course and, and, and put it online. And it was really hard. Let me tell you, I discovered that delivering a class online turned out to be much more work than doing it in person. And not just because I had my, you know, I've done bio 102 a million times and I, you know, I, I had a lot of the preparation in hand for the class. It's just the, the challenge of recording lectures and preparing those media files, the, uh, the text and graphics and everything, and delivering exams online. It's just, it's a lot of work. <laughs> so that week that we had between the announcement and the resumption of classes online was a, an extremely busy time uh, for me. And this semester, I'm doing Bio 102 again. And once again, it's online, and it's still a lot of work. 
but at least I knew what was coming. And the other class I'm teaching is a small seminar also online, and it's a much different animal. So a big lecture course online done well, I think is a very hard thing to do. So let, let's go back to some of those moments. And as you and your colleagues are wrestling with putting this very complex course for a large number of students online, what were, how did you approach tackling it and keeping the whole team engaged? So, so what were some of the challenges you, you may have faced in, in just the coordination of the work? Well, um, Dr. Bone was running the, um, what was the lab section at the time. So it was her primary responsibility to work with the TAs and arrange that part of the course. So I was mainly focused on delivering the lecture content. And so to be honest, you know, I think the group of us instructors, we kind of worked fairly independently through this. So coordinating our team was a challenge, but it wasn't, it wasn't the main challenge. I think the main challenge for me was just It was all about the students, reorienting the course so that I could still hopefully reach the students, keep them engaged. I really worried about the students drifting off because they, their lives were turned upside down. You know, they had to, they had to move, they had to go off campus. They were dealing with all kinds of situations. So I was really nervous that we were going to lose, lose that semester's group of students, lose contact with them, that they wouldn't get the educational experience that they needed, and we weren't going to be seeing them face-to-face, so that was going to be really hard. And I'm sure for many of them, it was very difficult. And we had, you know, email correspondence with some students who had problems with computer access and, and things of that nature, and just the general challenge of all of a sudden having to be working from home, uh, as I am right now. So that was really the main focus. I was more worried about the students than I was about my colleagues who who I was teaching the course with because, um, you know, it was this, it was all about making sure the students remained connected. And I was, I was really nervous about the whole thing because, um, it's a really weird thing to give a lecture to your, to your laptop, um, and think that it's supposed to be 140 students, you know, when they're live in the room, there's some reaction, you know, there's some life and, uh, you can read the room and get a sense of how things are going. But when you're, when you're just sitting in your office talking to your computer, it's a, it's a slightly different thing. So I was very, very worried about how it was all going to go down. But, you know, in the end, I think it actually did go okay. I mean, Clark students, Clark students are great. You know, they're very flexible people. They're very humane. They're very understanding. And, and our intro bio students, you know, when the, when the course evaluations came in, I was really curious to see what they were going to say. And the impression I got was the students were very appreciative of the efforts that we were making in the course to to keep things going. It was really actually kind of touching that in aggregate, you know, when I read those read those reviews, you know, there was this sense that we're they knew that we're all in this together, that this was not easy for anybody. And um, I was relieved because, you know, I didn't know how it was going. I was spending the semester talking to my computer and then posting these videos on Moodle, our, our course management system. And uh, you know, I I I couldn't I couldn't get a sense of the of how it was going down with the students. So for the whole semester, and that was the, that I think was the hardest part, just sort of that losing touch, losing the ability to get instant feedback, uh, that instant human connection, which you know when you're when you're in a room with a bunch of students, when you're lecturing to 140 students and it's going well, it's a great feeling, you know, the exchange of 
of energy is, is um, it's addictive, you know? I mean, I think a lot of professors really get hooked on that. I, you know, I am hooked on it. And when all of a sudden that's gone and you're in your office talking to your laptop, not the same. But I think it went, I think it went okay. I think it's going okay this semester, but this is not the experience that, this is not why I started teaching, that's for sure. Sure. David, let me bring you back a moment to when you went on to Zoom for that very first class of uh, the intro bio class. Do you recall what you said to the students? I don't. (laughs) Sorry, Kevin. (laughs) I've forgotten. But I do remember writing a message to the intro bio students at the beginning of this period as we were going through the transition. I remember trying to be reassuring. I remember trying to be sympathetic and to let them know that we understood that they were dealing with, you know, that many of them were dealing with big challenges and that we were going to try to be flexible. And the last thing we wanted to do was add complexity to their lives. So I remember that. I remember worrying about how the students were going to react. I don't remember that first moment when I sat down to record my first Zoom lecture, except that I remember that there were lots of takes, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Uh, And this, I realize, is a bad thing because when you go into a room and give a lecture live, that's it, right? You know, you've got those 50 minutes and when they're over, they're over. And the lecture could have been great, it could have been terrible, but it's it's done, (laughs) you know, with Zoom. Uh, with these recorded lectures, you have the option to do multiple takes. And that's a bad thing I've come to realize, because if you uh, worry about the product that's going out, and I hate to even talk about a lecture as a product, but if you worry about the quality of the product, you can obsess about it. And then you can redo your lecture over and over. And that's part of what took so much time. I have noticed, however, this semester, now that I'm recording new short lectures for Intro Bio, I am rarely doing multiple takes. I'm just talking. Uh, So maybe I'm getting better at it. Maybe I'm just worrying less about the ums and ahs and, you know, misspeaking as one does. But that was one of the challenges last year was when we were starting, worrying about how good the material was and then wanting to record multiple takes, which I, I think I wasted a lot of time doing that. <laughs> so let's let's flash forward a year. And I was surprised to hear you say that you were re-recording some of your material. Well, for one thing, the material that I'm doing right now, I had already delivered by the time we went online last year, but I will absolutely be re-recording everything for sure. Why? Oh, I'm always tinkering with my classes, always. And and I think, you know, sort of this this uh, this image of the old professor coming into class and giving a lecture off this, the yellowed notes that he or she has been using for the last 30 years, I think that's a myth. My impression is that most people are refreshing constantly. I mean, for one thing, you know, in science, things are always changing right? So one of the lectures I did last year was on the evolution of SARS-CoV-19. And this year, I'm going to do that again. But now we're going to be talking about the emergence of some of these new variants that are causing so much trouble. So things are always changing. And courses always have to change. So yeah, for sure, I'll be re-recording everything. Now, in fact, there are, there are some things that don't change, you know, so basic Mendelian genetics, you know, hasn't really changed very much in the last century. But, but no, it's all going to be new, has to be. So you, you alluded a little bit to incorporating um, study of COVID-19 into your class. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that thought process and, and how the students reacted to it? 
I think they reacted well. I think they found that material relevant and interesting. It was not in the syllabus at the beginning of the semester, but my part of the semester deals with evolutionary biology, and there's a lot of great evolutionary principles that you can bring out talking about the evolution of this virus, and also, you know, the organisms that serve as its hosts, these, you know, bats and maybe pangolins and things like that. So it's a natural to bring it in. And I'm always trying to find ways to bring current issues in the news into my classes. So when I started teaching at Clark a very long time ago, West Nile virus was was a relatively new thing. So I talked about West Nile virus. Now it's COVID-19. I know that you've had a lot of big moments, sort of both in your professional and personal life that have made this for an interesting year of teaching. And I'm wondering if you could touch on some of those. I understand you have a new housemate. (laughs) Yeah. So let me, um, I'm going to get to that question directly, but I'm part of a working group that's looking at caregiver responsibilities at Clark. And we were doing focus groups and we had a couple of questions that we were going to ask about how are you handling work and how are you handling your domestic responsibilities? I think I'm not giving away too much by telling you the story. And what we immediately realized is that when you start asking about one, you get the other. You know, work life, you know, the work life balance thing, work and life are completely intertwined for, I think, for everybody I know. You know, there's no, there's no clear separation. You know, you can't compartmentalize too much. You know, it's not like we just, you know, you go and you clock in somewhere and you do eight hours of work and then you leave it and then, that's it. I mean, maybe for some people, that's how life is like. But in in academia, and not just the professors, my sense is that work and life are completely interdigitated, and one influences the other. So yeah, it's been an incredibly complicated year for me in terms of work-life balance. In February last year, we were starting some renovations on my house here in Upton, where I live. And we moved to Arlington, Massachusetts, where my mother owns a house. She, at that time, was living in in an assisted living facility already, but she owns this house still. We thought we'd be there for six weeks while our house here was undergoing renovations, and we ended up staying until the end of August. In March, we brought my mom from the assisted living facility to live with us at her house in in Arlington. Uh, She's 96. And... And then in August, when we moved out here to Upton, our, our renovations here had been finished long before, she came with us. So yeah, so now I'm living with my mom. And that is very interesting and challenging and, and, and wonderful and not unusual, right? But that's been a, that has been the most profound change in my life, even more than shifting my teaching online, I would say. And that was certainly unanticipated, but that is, that's my life now and will be, I think, even after COVID is over, I think we've decided that she will, she will live with us as, as long as that is possible. Um, I mean, I, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm in a tremendously fortunate situation because I have stable employment and I can work from home so I can have my mom here at home with me and I can, you know, I can record a lecture and then make my mom lunch, and I can juggle, not easily. And my wife, who is also working at home, is, is, is doing this alongside. But I'd be in a very different situation if I had the kind of job that required that I'd be out of the house all day. And I'd be in a very different situation if I had lost my job. 
so yeah, it's it's a challenging time for everyone, and it's a more challenging time for some people than others. And I consider myself to be among the very, very fortunate. David, I'd like to I'd like to um, again bring it back to the students. How have you seen students adjust, for better or worse, over these now three semesters of teaching under COVID? Well, the students that are still around, and I mean, it's most of them, it's really remarkable to me how many of our students have stuck with college. You know, they're obviously very highly motivated people, and they must feel that they're getting something valuable that they have not decided to take a year off and do something else, not that there are a ton of jobs around. So I think most of our students are showing a tremendous resilience and are, are dealing. Now, how they are doing that, I'm not entirely sure. And I don't want to paint too rosy a picture of the, of the whole situation. You know, I do hear about discussion groups online where the instructor is looking out at a Zoom screen that is, you know, mostly black squares because people have their video cameras turned off. That's not a good experience, and it can't be a good experience for those students. So I don't want to be too, you know, paint too rosy a picture of how we've all adapted. Although in my experience, like in my small classes, I think the vibe is pretty good, you know. So I taught mycology last fall. That was a small class, and the lecture portion, lecture slash discussion was online. I thought it went very well. The symbiosis seminar I'm doing this semester, that small class, I feel like that's going very well. My part of Bio 102 is just getting started, but that's a, that's a different kind of challenge. Um, I'll just say that I'm very impressed at what I perceive to be their persistence, their resilience, and their seriousness. I mean, these are people who are you know, undertaking their education under certainly less than ideal circumstances, and I don't think it's easy for them. So yeah, my hat is off to our students for, for the effort that they are putting in. Well, David, uh, thank you so much for sharing all of this, the the journey that you have taken both within your classroom, whether it's a live classroom or a virtual classroom, the, the engagement you've had with students, um, the work with your colleagues and your own personal uh, journey through all of this. I'd like to end as we end with every one of our podcasts. What does being a Clarky mean to you? Oh, what an interesting question. Well, it's different for everybody, right? I have always felt that the best thing about Clark really is the community. The most distinctive thing about Clark is the presence of PhD programs in a small college setting. But the best thing about Clark is, is the community. It's, it is genuinely a friendly, supportive place where people really do care about each other. Absolutely. And I think that over this last year, we've done well. You know, I think we have shown compassion. There have been hard decisions about, you know, how to deliver our classes, when to open, when not to open. And, and there have been feelings sometimes of, you know, people in a difficult situation, people want to be empowered with information. They want to have agency and it's always difficult. And the administration can never do a perfect job. The faculty can never do a perfect job, but I think we've done pretty well, um, all things considered. And I'm very optimistic about the future for Clark. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. David, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your stories. Best of luck with the end of the semester. Thanks, Kevin. My pleasure. Thanks again, David. And thanks to all of you so much for listening to this final installment of Clark's Moments of Uncertainty. 
I hope this podcast has given you a sense of how transformative a year this has been on campus and how members of our Clark community have shown incredible resilience in the face of overwhelming uncertainty. Before I go, I need to thank two key members of the team. Cindy Ironson has been my colleague in the alumni office for almost four years. She is my creative partner on so many projects and she helped to create the concept of this podcast. And as she always does, develop, nurture and finesse a project to completion. And Ashling Lynch, who is a member of the Clark class of 2021. She's worked as a student employee in the alumni office for four years, and she's done some incredible things at Clark. She's a talented writer, filmmaker, and artist. We thought Ashling, for her senior year, would be the perfect person to act as the producer, copywriter, and editor. She's headed into the creative arts after graduation, and she's promised to get me onto a Star Trek set, if at all possible, at some point in her career. So thanks so much to Cindy and Ashling for all of their hard work in bringing this podcast to all of you. We hope that you will share with us your own moments of uncertainty at Clark Alumni on Instagram or by emailing us at alumni at clarku.edu. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Engage with other Clark alumni, learn about upcoming events and volunteer opportunities at clarku.edu backslash alumni. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>